The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Luke Gorski sits down with Jeff Klein and Lila Engelhorn. And I kind of just wanted to drill down one term you mentioned is, you know, this is all open source stuff. This is all things that you all, at least from what I've, the side that I've been on so far is all, uh, you know, open access for the most part. Do you guys have a classified side of this as yes, well? Yes. In fact, I, I needed, yeah, that, we'll set that right. We do everything from TSSCI to secret to unclass. So uh, if you take a look at the website for the um, Warfare Innovation Continuum web, uh, website, Warfare Workshop, sorry, uh, you'll see that a couple of the reports aren't, you can't download them. You have to request them. Uh, most of those are controlled uh, distribution. Um, and then many times the thesis work and, and prototyping that falls out of these uh, go to the classified side. Mm-hmm. So the w- workshop itself, is it the mostly unclassified level? Yes. There's some controlled information, but then it feeds up into the classified. Well, we also have c- classified teams in the workshop. Okay. So we have uh, one or two secret teams uh, working at that at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, to my knowledge, we've never had one at the TSSCI level. No, we have not. But we do have had work, follow-on work at that level. Um, but we usually have that, and so the there's there's unclassified work going on, and there's classified work going on. What we found in the past, interestingly enough, is that most of the, the, the ideas are about the same. Uh, at times, the classified, the teams working on the classified side don't broaden their horizon mm-hmm. uh, as much as the ones that are working in the open space. Uh, we get most of our left field ideas that are, hey, that's really great, from the teams that are uh, distro A. That way we are unclassified. That way we also are able to um, integrate our allied officers yeah, and absolutely. some of our foreign officers, and they bring an unbelievable perspective about the areas, the cultures, uh, and how uh, certain technologies may or may not be able to be used in the environment that they live in. Yeah, most of these scenarios do involve a, a global conflict. So regional knowledge is essential mm-hmm. and regional input for these concept generation processes is also essential. And we've also made um, links with, for instance, the Royal Australian Navy started sending representatives starting in 2015 to our workshops. And they took our model and employed it for the Royal Australian Navy for their own warfare innovation workshop, looking at a problem space that was of interest to Mm -hmm. just the Royal Australian Navy and brought in industry and academia just like we do here to get more perspectives on that problem space. And I was lucky enough to go to Sydney to help them run their first workshop. They just held their third and they have actually created an entire program around running these innovation workshops, which I'm thrilled about for them. Oh yeah, that's awesome. And it's also great, I think, you know, one of the things that kind of jumped out of me, you're talking about the international community kind of bring broad in and again, relating it to the kind of distribution of our forces. So right then we're using smaller ships in general. Well, how many U.S. naval officers have ever really been in charge of a small ship and like, patrol craft being like really the smallest or some of the riverine ones, which is a really small sliver of our Navy, but other navies, that's, you know, a much larger part and they're going to have more experience and you know, as we look at the different technologies and this distributed things, looking at people like, oh, well, your Navy has been running these type of things for 20, 30 plus years. Oh, yeah. They can Indonesian s- military officers, those from Singapore who are part of our systems engineering 
distance learning cohort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome to be able to leverage all of that knowledge. Well, through the through uh, Lila's organization for our workshop, particularly, we've had the last two as hybrid. So we've also brought in international officers from their countries. I think Romania was yeah. one. Uh, where else? Singapore. Romania, um, Singapore, Indonesia, um, Greece, Israel. Mm -hmm. So we actually had international officers participating electronically that way. At the same time, we had classified teams down in the STBL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's really awesome. And I think it's great, you know, I mean, one of the, I don't know, positive effects of COVID, if you want to call it that, but the uh, ability of everyone to be able to say, oh, let's get on a Zoom call, and everyone kind of understands how to do that, and it's really easy to get, it's already kind of ingrained in people's mind, but now that we are you know, moving towards a more uh, normal world and we can do the in-person thing as well because all Zoom also has its own disadvantages. So the fact that you all are able to do that hybrid mission set, I think is really valuable. Absolutely, and at the workshop, just the manual work of drawing something out on a big sheet of flip chart paper, mm -hmm. using Sharpies and Post-its and moving stuff around on a wall. Mm -hmm. There are digital collaboration tools that we've been experimenting with and um, the learning curve is a little steep. And depending upon the technology of the participants and the comfort with technology and their bandwidth, things mm -hmm. crash. It, it's not the same. Right. It, we're, we're getting better at it, but there is value in being together in real space, in real time, drawing an idea on a Starbucks cup. Mm -hmm. Now, we, uh, we're taking the model of the Warfare Innovation Continuum Workshop and that longer year-long to two-year-long effort. Sometimes it goes all the way to our joint field experimentation program mm -hmm. here at MPS. So there's a, that continuum involves everything from prototyping to modeling and simulation to taking it out to the field and testing it, uh, whether it's Camp Roberts, et cetera. But the Naval Warfare Studies Institute is now using that model and starting to stand up research group task forces that are in line with both the Commandant and the CNO's uh, larger objectives. So the Hybrid Force 2045 Warfare Innovation Continuum will morph into a research group task force. Um, and we'll use the workshop concept to kick off those task force. So, and my point of bringing that up is the number one asset we have on these research groups are, of course, our operationally experienced students. Mm -hmm. So they'll be invited to participate not just in the workshops, but then the, the task groups as they continue their work. Uh, the task groups will include uh, this year the Hybrid Force 2045, uh, the um, uh, the maritime gray zone, mm -hmm. uh, and of course we've already stood up one uh, on Project uh, um, Overmatch, which mm -hmm. is the CNO's second priority behind the Columbia SSBN, um, and uh, that work that group is standing up now under Captain Height. So we'll have different groups standing up that students can get involved with, and almost any discipline can get involved with because these are complex issues, they're large titles. So whether you're studying national security affairs or whether you're studying uh, fluid dynamics and robots arms, there's a piece that you can contribute to this larger topic. Then we then turn around and feed to those efforts that are in OPNAV, those efforts in the Warfare Development Commands, those efforts in the Systems Commands, depending on what people are studying. Mm -hmm. The more varied perspectives you have on a problem space, looking at the same problem from a different lens, the richer the outcomes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's not even just, you know, within the, the disciplines within MPS, but also, you know, the 
professional backgrounds of the people here. I mean, you take me, an intel guy, national security affairs, compared to maybe a surface warfare officer or an army infantry officer in national security mm -hmm. affairs, despite our shared national security background, will have come at it with kind of a different view. And I'm sure that's the same in the engineering department or anything else. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of times I hear from students, oh, I don't think I'm technically savvy enough to participate in your activities. Like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. You're a technical writer. Come in and, and just look at the problem space from your perspective. All human beings are having ideas at all times. You store it in the back of your head. There was a um, nanoscientist who came into her lab and as a postdoc, and it was a complete disaster. It's like, okay, so how do I continue my work in this complete disaster space? And she immediately thought of Shrinky Dinks, that toy that you used to play with and you put the plastic in the oven and it shrinks. How could she use that process to continue her work when her lab wasn't ready? And now she has a multi-million dollar startup company around that idea. So you're having ideas at all times, regardless of your technical background or not. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a specific example, too. And this one involves Lila and Hagfish. <laughs> so um, we had one workshop at one time that looked at very similar to what we're going to look in November. That is um, uh, activities just short of war, everything from maritime sabotage to cyber and, and uh, honeypots and that sort of thing, right? And we, but in this case, uh, we were asked to take a look at non-lethal technologies that could be used against ships. Uh, one of those, and anybody who served as an engineer in the Indian Ocean knows that one of the terrible things that happen periodically is the jellyfish that give birth gets sucked in your condenser, blocks your condenser, and then suddenly you lost your heat exchanger, and now your engineering plant starts to fail. It means you have to open it up and clean that stuff up. So one of the ideas out of that workshop with that engineering experience said, why don't we create false jellyfish that would actually be ingested into uh, a, a, an adversary's uh, uh, condensers, make them inefficient and stop and, and clog their heat exchangers essentially. It's non-lethal and it makes the ship stop. Well, you know, the, the problem with that is condensers are hot and most things that are heat don't clog, they do actually the opposite, they start to fall apart except the goo that comes out of a hagfish. And what happens is we were having, uh, was it, uh, what, do you remember the Warfare Center, uh, young uh, junior engineers? Panama City. Yeah, Panama City had sent a team in the workshop, and they took this idea back to Panama City to create this non-lethal capability. They, uh, Lila sent them an article about hagfish that give this gooey gunk out as a defense. It's all, what are you, how would you well, describe it? And this is from my time with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute creating the deep exhibit. Hagfish are fascinating. They, as a defense mechanism, if in the episode of predation, if somebody, if a shark tries to bite them, mm -hmm. they create just with seawater and enzymes this goo, kind of slime. Uh -huh. And it is viscous and nasty and immediate, so the shark spits it out. The hagfish can create many times its volume in slime in a very short amount of time. And it is, I don't know if you've ever touched a slug, but it's mm -hmm. that gooey, kind of sticky nastiness. That in a heat condenser. So I was trying to figure out a way to create jellies quickly. And I couldn't do that, but I remembered the hagfish. Uh -huh. And there was actually a 
truckload of hagfish that spilled on Highway 1 somewhere and covered a Prius in slime. So I sent that <laughs> article to Panama City. Now, the, the follow-on to that is this. So they were able to artificially reproduce that enzyme. And what they found one of the uses for when the, when the press came out was not artificially stopping or to stop ships. It was, in fact, to create adhesive for uh, battlefield injuries that you could cr quickly create this stuff to put on uh, anything that stopped bleeding and, and, and hurt like that. So from a problem set to a solution to an innovative use of that solution in another field, I'm very proud of MPS for being able to do things like that. Oh yeah, that's awesome. And it just goes, innovation isn't necessarily always the way that you think it's gonna go. It's no, it is not a straight line. And it's, and it's the network that was created in order to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, just one small story. I've got all kinds of them to bore you like that one, but, <laughs> but that is is probably the most interesting one out of every out of left field for crying out loud. Research the hagfish. Yeah, that's Love right. The hagfish. There we go. Um, so I just want to kind of hone in on a couple of terms that we used when we were talking about particularly this year. So one um, hybrid force twenty forty five, the yeah. hybrid piece of that. What was your reasoning? Can you first, I guess, describe? It's something I feel like it's thrown out, hybrid war, hybrid force, hybrid this, that, and the other. What, um, how are you guys defining that? For well, this? It, it, uh, it's first, I'm glad people are struggling with it because I wanted an open aperture. I wanted exactly that question asked. I wanted you not to be limited in what you propose to be part of the hybrid force. So uh, hybrid force is everything from manned and unmanned, multi-domain, multi, -domain, um, uh, multi uh, 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 spectrum of conflict uh, so that our hybrid force uh, might have capabilities that are specifically designed in it for the competitive phase, intermediate force capabilities that we wouldn't use in warfare, but we might use in the comp competitive phase to keep us from getting to warfare. Mm -hmm. So I meant hybrid to mean a lot of things, hybrid physically, hybrid across domains, and hybrid across operations and concepts. And then gray zone for this upcoming thing. Can you just to kind of define or expand on that for our listeners? Yeah, for uh, gray zone is very similar. So gray zone activities is normally those sort of activities short of war uh, that, uh, or uh, they don't always have to be kinetic. They could be non-kinetic, but those activities which actually shape the political environment, uh, either applying risk to an adversary's plans or in some way enhances uh, allied cooperation, uh, but essentially counters the uh, potential adversaries or China's or Russia's uh, designs to shape the international community uh, outside of what we currently have now. Okay. In our last workshop, in the workshop in September, generally I start the workshop with what I call the discovery phase. Mm -hmm. That's where you explore the problem space and that discovery in a traditional design thinking process is quite extensive and the design team would do a site visit they'd watch people work in the space they do their own research we don't have that kind of time so in a design sprint i truncate it i select with jeff's input topics of interest that we think participants need to be familiar with quickly mm -hmm. and i have um design them in a discovery panel format. So I have subject matter experts give a spotlight talk and reference some material that I posted for participants in advance to review. And I had a discovery panel this time on global geopolitics mm -hmm. because that's essential in exploring a hybrid force right. with everything that it could mean. And 
allied and regional participation, understanding regional issues and how that impacts your course design and conops and concepts of operations. Jim Wirtz was actually one of our uh, panelists on that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and, and he's great. I had him in international, intra, I had him in introduction to international relations theory, and he's a really great professor, really oh, yeah. engaging. So Absolutely. I'm sure they loved him at the, at the, court, at the uh, continuum. Yeah, and, and so making sure we, we understand foreign policy as well as the cool tech widgets. Mm -hmm. Your question's a good one, though. That there is not a discipline here on campus or a uh, service that should not be in some way interested in the gray zone activities. Whether that, if they're medical service, they should be concerned with it. If they're studying cyber or computer science, they be, should be concerned with it. You obviously as an NSA student should be concerned with it. So um, that is probably the most inclusive uh, task force that we'll probably have uh, as far as different proposals that might come out of what we can do and what we should develop. I mean, let's face it, right now our Navy is designed for war. It's used frequently uh, for as ba battle group centric war. Mm -hmm. uh, it's used frequently for uh, humanitarian, which is good, but mobile. But it's not designed to maximize for that by any stretch of imagination. It just has helicopters and flat decks, and so we can use it for humanitarian uh, type activities. But should we incorporate force design to, throughout the competitive spectrum as gray zone activities, not war, not necessarily peace? that are independent of war fighting in order to specifically shape that domain. And here you're, or shape the geopolitical environment. And here you're talking, as I said, everything from social media to uh, ramming other ships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, we'll relate it back to, to classwork, but one of uh, the paper that I'm writing for my classes now is basically looking at effective ways to create deterrence in the Indo-Pacific. So, you know, that includes all kinds of things from how quickly do you need to be able to deploy those battle groups to, well, do we need to deploy battle groups or can we, you know, do a targeted social media campaign somewhere that has an effect down the line or do we need to bring in allies in the region? It just is a really interesting topic that, as you said, touches so many different things and so many different aspects. Oh, absolutely. You should sign up for the November workshop. You should. Yeah. Registration's open. It's on the Naval <laughs> Warfare Studies Institute homepage. There's a registration link. Click it. So in the design process, we start with that discovery phase. I fire hose people with what I think they need to know about, you can clearly do your own research in the problem space given the design challenge. The teams then decide within that giant dark football field of a problem space what their entry point is based on what they understand about the problem space, what they've researched, their data points, and those are one piece of data per post-it, put it up on a wall, figure out how it falls into topic bins, what's standing out for you as a team you then define your problem mm -hmm. and that is up to the team. Sometimes there's a lot of similarities between problem statements, sometimes there's not and it's, it's just up to the team. Once they frame the problem, because we give them a design challenge, not a problem. Once they frame their problem, they then go about solving it in two ideation phases. First is divergent, everything goes up on the board. Mm -hmm. No idea is a bad one. Encourage wild ideas because that leads to the next one. Stand on the edge of the box of what's possible to see what's just outside, the adjacent possible. 
From there, the team will then scope down and converge on an idea or a set of ideas that they want to put together, like a Starbucks menu, of what they want to develop. They'll then prototype that, and initial prototype in a workshop is just a drawing, a pitch, a really rough OV1 that they can talk to up uh -huh. on a slide. And their first test of that prototype is their presentation. They sometimes have an opportunity to present a quick look report to potentially Professor Klein and other experts who come around and give their initial feedback. What do you think of this idea? Well, have you considered X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. And then they'll incorporate that feedback. And then they get to prototype again and test by presenting their idea to the entire workshop participant group. Mm -hmm. And then the workshop's over. Then I write a report <laughs> that um, summarizes all their concepts and we put that out to the greater community. How far and oh, wide does that go? Oh, it goes to the Navy Warfare Development Command, Marine Corps Warfighting Lab, goes to offices in OpNav. Uh, it's socialized in many places, including our own researchers here on campus, so that they can see uh, potential areas for applications for their research. Mm -hmm. And those are seeds of new ideas. Yeah just to think about and maybe incorporate in their research or maybe it spawns a brand new project. I had one student who went to the Robo Dojo and took a Pelican box and a bunch of other equipment and created a mobile sensor that would passively float in the waves and went out to the Coast Guard Pier and deployed it to see how far it could go and see how long he could get a signal. That was a prototype and test, field experimentation of an idea he came up with during the workshop. He then had to employ Coast Guard help to go get it. <laughs> but, you know, things like that. And taking it out to the joint interagency field experimentation events at Camp Roberts or the Slammer facility across the street. Just to fly it, crash it, learn from it, repair it, do it again, blow it up, whatever it needs to happen. Yeah, do all the fun stuff. And just, exactly. Just to highlight kind of what you said there, I don't know that we've talked about the Robo Dojo on our podcast here before, but, uh, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't actually gotten a chance to get over there, but my understanding is it's basically a 3D printing additive manufacturing lab that NPS students can just go in and learn about how to do it, or maybe yeah. they come in with an idea, like this is what I think would be cool to build, and there's you know experts or people with some professional knowledge there that can help them out, is that? That's right. You don't always have to use a 3D printer. They also have Legos and, and um, like uh, little engines and, and, yeah. uh, and computers to help. Uh, Arduinos, Raspberry Pi. Right, so they, they, you can program your own uh, robot to do whatever you want it to do. That's exactly right. And RoboDojo also offers classes you can come in for an hour and learn about a new technology or a new tool that you might use to mm -hmm. create some of this stuff it's it's a makerspace it is what the students make of it Kristen Solis runs it through defense analysis it is um, route 125 stop by whenever they have open lab hours are you both in the operations research department or just do you uh, I'm in the operations research department I think your appointment is information science yes I'm right. in the information sciences department yeah. um, so then I guess maybe a little bit specifically to the uh, OR curriculum when you were talking about some of the classes you're having before naval tactics analysis and those types of things you know as an a NSA student it's like ooh, naval tactics I'm a naval officer I should learn about that but there always seems yes to be you kind should of <laughs> <laughs> there kind of seems to be um, you know, I'm an Intel guy with no math background and a history degree. How scary is that class for me? Well, uh, let's take the joint campaign analysis class, for example. Um, 
There's two prerequisites for that class. One is some background in in probability. So you might have had it as an undergraduate. You may have had it at NPS. Um, If not, then I'll just waive that one. The other one is the most unique requirement probably on campus is operational experience. So some form of operational experience is, requ- is a prerequisite for the class. And the reason why is because we combined uh, basic probability of math models uh, with the operational experience to try to bound uncertainty and risk in large campaigns. Now, the Navy tactical analysis class is actually not offered to operations research students. It, well, it is. They can take it as an elective anytime they want, but they only get one elective, so that's, uh, they, that's, uh, they don't get that chance usually. Uh, but that's offered to our systems engineering analysis students and our distance learning masters of systems analysis students. That requires a little bit more math because we get into search theory. And so, but if anyone's had a basic uh, class in calculus, we don't immediately go back to calculus. We just use some of those equations uh, to help build models and then we use those models. So the only calculus you have to know is to say, okay, and, this, and I teach this as a survey course too, by the way. Uh, so that there's no calculus. That, as I say, here's the formula, here's how we use it. If you're interested in how it was derived, then read this paper because it's got to do with calculus. Uh, but the formulas themselves, usually uh, officers can use them and apply them immediately at sea, which is, um, for, for all our officers, uh, Navy officers out there anywhere, I enjoin you to take a look at Naval Operations Analysis. It's a, it's a third edition, it's fairly old but it uses uh, basic mathematics to quantify risk in a lot of areas. I've offered this survey course, the two-week survey course, uh, to both the Indian uh, Navy, which has used it, the Indonesian Navy, which has used it, uh, the Australian Navy, which has used it. Um, but on campus, the, we, the resident courses, we just haven't had a chance to yet, mainly because you all are busy. Um, yeah, well, and that's very true. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe I'll have to dust off some math and, and give one of those a shot. We'll see if uh, the schedule can take it and everything else. Well, let me say one other thing before I uh, turn it over to Lila to, to, for in, her ending comments. I would love to see you get this podcast out to the squadrons and the waterfront. And the reason why is I want to invite all those junior grades out there to come to MPS and help shape the future. Yeah. Lila? Well, with that final line, good <laughs> heavens. Um I feel like, yes, MPS students are busy. But what I hear over and over again from MPS students who participate in these workshops, these rapid concept generation events, is I had no idea. That was fantastic. If I had known, I wouldn't have resisted Ms. Engelhorn's imploring me to sign up. Um, And I would have told all my friends, when do you do another one? We will be doing Warfare Innovation workshops for each one of the Naval Warfare Studies Institute task forces this year in fiscal year 22. The first one's November. Hopefully they'll do one every couple of months with opportunities for students to serve on concept generation teams. And then I will have my one workshop every September between finals and graduation when you don't have classes. Yes, it is an opportunity where you could take leave and take your family to Disneyland. However, during September, if you have school-aged kids, they're in school. You can't go to Disneyland. (laughs) Great. Yeah, so we'll definitely make sure that this gets out, and I think there are really great things that are going on here. And um, we'll throw in some links down in the bottom of the page to NWSI, to the Warfare Innovation Continuum, and 
all that. I thank you both very much for coming on the podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll get you on for some more in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroompodcast.